You're listening to Hometown, a podcast by Episcopal Migration Ministries, the Refugee Resettlement and Migration Ministry of the Episcopal Church. Here on Hometown, we seek to build a community of welcome by sharing interviews, stories, and actions that you can take to advocate for our newest neighbors. Thank you for being with us. Hi, I'm Stephanie Whitehouse, the program assistant for EMM's new Neighbor to Neighbor program. On this episode of Hometown, I'm here with some of our very own special guests from EMM, Allison Duvall and Zoe Bayer, who will help us break down the idea of sponsorship. Many efforts to welcome our newest neighbors are happening in the form of co-sponsorship, community sponsorship, and sponsor circles. But as folks who may be called to this work, we want to know, what exactly is the difference between them all? Allison and Zoe are going to help walk us through that. So for a brief introduction, Allison Duvall serves on Presiding Bishop Michael Curry's staff as Senior Manager for Church Relations and Engagement for Episcopal Migration Ministries, the Church Refugee Resettlement Agency, and Migration Ministry. In her role, she oversees EMM's church engagement work and programs, including Neighbor to Neighbor and the Asylum and Detention Ministry Network, and works with EMM's resettlement team on the development of new affiliate partners. She currently resides in Lexington, Kentucky with her husband, Clay, an attorney. Zoe Bayer is a post-arrival program officer at Episcopal Migration Ministries. Zoe provides technical assistance, monitoring, and evaluation, and support to EMM's national network of affiliate offices for the reception and placement and matching grant programs, which are federally funded programs which support newly arrived refugees. Zoe's portfolio mainly focuses on technical assistance regarding community sponsorship and volunteer engagement for local affiliate offices and new community partners. Zoe joined EMM in 2019 and currently resides in Brooklyn, New York. So Zoe and Allison, thank you so much for being with us today to help us really dive deep into these various forms of welcome, which seem ever evolving. So I guess to start, can you tell us what sponsorship is to begin with and why even have sponsorship in the first place? Sure. Do you want me to take this one, Zoe, or do you want to take it? Feel free to start. Okay, great. Well, first, Stephanie, thanks so much for having us. And it's really fun to have a conversation with you and with Zoe. Um, Zoe and I get to work together on a lot of different projects, but it's fun to be on a podcast episode together. Um, So sponsorship is really the way that refugee resettlement began in the United States back in the 1940s and the decades that followed um, prior to the government creating a kind of public private program where the government funded agencies to do the work of resettlement. It was members of faith communities and other community groups who would gather together and raise money and build out all the supports needed to welcome individuals who were fleeing persecution and who were coming to the United States. Um, So this is kind of the roots of resettlement, both in the U.S. as well as in other countries. Um, The reason that we have sponsorship now and that sponsorship in its many forms has continued to be part of resettlement is because even when you're working in the professional field of refugee resettlement with case managers and caseworkers, those efforts and the services that our affiliates provide only go so far. 
you know, a case manager can help connect people to services and can help people fill out a self-sufficiency plan. But case managers aren't going to be your American friend who helps you navigate the bus system or go to your grocery store or get your first library card. That's really where community sponsors and individuals who want to step up and welcome their new neighbors come into the picture. Um, So it's both the, the roots of resettlement, but it's also what gives resettlement kind of its lifeblood today. And it what's make, what makes resettlement so successful for new Americans is when their new neighbors, their American neighbors come alongside them to welcome them. Thanks, Allison. Yeah, I would also add that, like you were saying, um, the government programs for newly arrived individuals are the reception and placement program and the Afghan placement and assistance program for Afghan parolees. Uh, both are 90 days of support with available for each individual. Um, So our local offices do a fantastic job of supporting newly arrived individuals, helping them get enrolled in services, but there's really only so far that the program can go since it is naturally limited at 90 days. Um, And when you think about it, (laughs) 90 days, three months is really pretty short uh, to acclimate to a whole new culture, a whole new uh, place. And just over uh, $1,200 doesn't go very far. It doesn't even cover one month's rent in a lot of locations. So um, there are options for longer case management programs as well in some locations, but it depends on the location and the eligibility. So sponsorship really fills that gap um, as at both a logistical and just emotional level for people that are acclimating to a new culture. Um, and gives uh, families and individuals support for much longer than that initial uh, first couple of months after arrival. Yeah, it seems that sponsorship really is a flexible pivot option for folks who want to be the filler of that gap between government and private um, support. So when it comes to sponsorship, there are a couple different types. So is there an analogy you can compare these types of sponsorship with? So um, community sponsorship versus co-sponsorship and sponsor circles. Oh, sure. I can give it a try. And then I want to see what analogy that or image that Zoe might come up with. So the way I think about it, it's almost like there's a tree and the tree is refugee resettlement and welcoming people into the United States who fled persecution, who are seeking a safe place to rebuild their lives. So that's all of refugee resettlement is this beautiful tree. (laughs) And then on the tree, there are some major branches where um, both professional agencies that do this work kind of function on the different branches, but then also there's like um, smaller branches that go out from it where community members can be involved. So within the formal refugee resettlement program, Um, the United States Refugee Admissions Program, there are nine national agencies, EMM is one of them, that each have their own local network of affiliate partners who provide services to newcomers upon their arrival to refugees. And within those programs, there is a definition of co-sponsorship, which is basically where a community group can come alongside a newly arriving family and provide a certain number of delegable services. Um, And Zoe can speak more to that as well. Um, So the local agency has to provide the services ultimately. They are legally obligated to do so, but they can delegate some of those services to a co-sponsor. So co-sponsorship has to meet a certain threshold, like the co-sponsor has to do a certain number of activities to be considered a full co-sponsor. 
If they do less than that, they could just be considered a community sponsor. It's like all co-sponsors are community sponsors, but not all community sponsors are co-sponsors. And then also under the community sponsor umbrella. um, So I went from a tree metaphor to an umbrella metaphor. Um, That works. That works. (laughs) We can just have, you know, the branches are umbrellas at the end of the day or something. Um, Under the community sponsor umbrella, which is when a group of people commit to providing certain services to newly arriving refugees and refugee-like populations, including financial, volunteer, material. Um, There's also doing it through a quasi-private model, which is the Sponsor Circle Program for Afghans that I think you might have talked about on uh, Hometown before. Um, But at the end of the day, sponsorship, community sponsorship looks very similar. It just depends on... um, the mechanism by which people are being welcomed. Are they coming through the formal resettlement program and receiving reception and placement or Afghan placement and assistance services, like Zoe mentioned before? Or are they opting out of that and coming through this newly designed sponsor circle program for Afghans? But the work of folks who are becoming community sponsors looks very similar. It's um, providing support and also becoming those first American friends for newcomers to meet. Okay, enough with me and trees and umbrellas. So I'd love to hear, Zoe, how you explain and describe it and what metaphors you use. No, that was great, Allison. I had also been thinking about a tree with the different branches because there are so many different pathways now of different um, different models and ways that fit different kinds of groups. But I was also thinking when I was trying to think through how to describe the different uh levels I was sort of thinking about a ladder I don't know if that would fit with the sponsors the sponsor circles for Afghans kind of maybe it has its own ladder um but as far as going through um the like reception and placement program and APA program through our affiliate offices um which is more in the field of what I work on um the levels on the ladder are kind of the co-sponsor higher commitment that Allison was talking about and then below that the support team or volunteer group. Um, So as Allison mentioned, the co-sponsor level is groups that are assisting with a majority or more of the services that are needed for that family or that individual. Um, So if it's a group that is uh, assisting with less than a majority, then they would be uh, more of a support team or volunteer group. So they would still have a relationship with the family, but it would be a lower level of commitment maybe a shorter commitment. Um, And so, for example, um, we often have support teams that uh, do apartment setup. um, And before the family arrives, they set up the apartment with furniture, go grocery shopping, get everything ready for the family once they arrive there after traveling. Um, But they might not necessarily um, do services further along the road. They might have a relationship with the family, um, but they might not have a set commitment period, whereas a co-sponsor might do all of those things, but also sign an agreement to take responsibility for more services and sign saying that they'll have a relationship with the family for six months or a year or something like that. Um, so it really depends on the commitment level of the group and how much time and resources they're able to offer. I love the latter metaphor, Zoe, because I think what's beautiful about that is like everybody can climb the ladder. It's just a matter of like for your group at this point in time, what what rung of the ladder are you going to stand on? And then in the future, you could stand on a different rung of the ladder. That's beautiful. Yeah, honestly, and it really helps to hear all of your visualizations because I know as EMM, 
Um, especially with this new neighbor to neighbor program, we're trying to illustrate for folks how they can get involved and what's what the difference is. Um, and then what groups of people would be recommended to which, you know, rung of the ladder. So if you had any recommendations, like what types of groups, which groups fit best into which uh, category, would you say? Oh, that's a great question. So I guess there's different like areas to think about when you're trying to decide what is best for your group, or if you're an individual, what's the best pathway for you to pursue, to be supportive and to welcome your new neighbors. So some of the things I think about are, where are you geographically located? If you are geographically located within a community that has refugee resettlement, then you can ask yourself, okay, like, do we have the capacity as a group to do the private model where we have to do all the fundraising, provide all the services and support, or if we're newer to this work, it would make more sense perhaps to become a co-sponsor or a support team, like Zoe said, with an existing resettlement affiliate in your community. Um, so I would first ask that question, like, where are you physically located? And the second question, what experience do you already have in welcoming refugees? If you have a lot of experience, you probably could do the, the private model with a really strong team that has the ability to do that work. And if you have less experience, it would make a lot more sense to work with an existing affiliate because they can provide you a lot of training and support that kind of gets you acquainted to this world. Um, the other thing that is an element that pertains is what is the immigration status of the person that you're supporting? Because that would dictate what services they're eligible for that are federally funded or that are state funded. If they're not eligible if perhaps the person um, comes on a certain kind of parole status or is seeking asylum, depending on those things, they may not be eligible for any services at all, which means a lot more support is needed because there are no government benefits. If the person has refugee status or special immigrant visa status or another status, they are eligible for certain federal government supports and sometimes state supports as well. So those are the three things that I would think about. I can't wait to hear what Zoe would offer. But the, to distill them down, like where are you located? So geography. What's your previous experience? And then third, knowing a little bit about the immigration status of the person you want to support and welcome, because that will um, influence what additional supports they will need to be successful. Thanks, Allison. The only thing I could add to that is, I think, logistically thinking about how big is the group that you have? Um, how much availability, like in your schedule, do you have during the day? Um, a lot of the kinds of services and appointments that newly arrived uh, refugees need to get to happen during the weekday, um, which might not be possible for people that have a regular nine to five job. Um, so maybe a lower level of commitment would fit better for them. And then what are the strengths of the group as well? What experience do you have? Uh, what connections do you have in the community? Do you know, are you part of a company or do you know a company that's looking to hire new employees that you could connect uh, the family or an individual to? Um, do you speak another language fluently or have access to other kinds of resources? or have a way, um, if you are part of a community that you think you could get a lot of furniture donations or other kinds of resource support for the family. All of that, I think, is really helpful to take into consideration and also can be a conversation if you do reach out to 
if you are close to an office that does refugee resettlement, you can always have a conversation with them about what makes sense. Um, and I think it's helpful to be realistic about where you're starting at um, and not take on too much. Um, and the office is always available to help you with that as well um, and walk through that process because there it can be overwhelming at first, but <laughs> there's a lot of support there um, and truly a lot that um, groups have to offer. I would just add like, that's spot on, Zoe. Those were great things that I hadn't thought about. Um, in addition, EMM's church engagement unit. So myself, my colleague Kendall, our other colleagues and team members, including Stephanie, who's hosting this podcast, um, kind of our day in, day out work is responding to questions like that from members of the Episcopal Church, but also just members of communities in general. So if, if you really don't know where to start, you don't even know if there's a resettlement organization in your community or in your state, you can always reach out to us to start that conversation and we can refer you to the best local partner. For sure. And you mentioned that um, not just faith organizations, but general organizations are involved in this work. The Episcopal Migration Ministries is rooted in the idea of welcoming, welcoming all. And so I guess, how do community sponsorship, co-sponsorship and sponsor circles connect to your faith? I can start on this one um, and then, yeah, interested to hear what Allison has to share from the Episcopal Church side as well. But I think um, seeing, um, working at the national level, um, we can kind of see how there are different types of groups in different communities across the U.S. And one of the coolest things, I think, has been seeing how different groups in individual communities will come together um, organizations that have different faith backgrounds will all band together with the common goal of welcoming newcomers. Um, and this is really kind of a universal a value in a lot of different faiths. And I think that's been something that's really beautiful to me to see that connection across uh, communities that have, you know, uh, different, uh, different concentrations of faith organizations within the city, um, but they all work together to welcome these families. Um, so I think that's something that's been really meaningful to me play out in terms of sponsorship. Yeah, 100%. And as you were saying that, I was thinking about, like, I'm going to get personal for a second, so not just like wearing my professional hat, but wearing the hat of like who I am as a person and how I came into this work um, at all. And it was my faith community. So the Christchurch Cathedral, Episcopal Cathedral in Lexington, Kentucky. When I was younger, we were a co-sponsor for a Bosnian family. And the thing that has been remarkable to me about that is that in the last several years where we've seen such, you know, vociferous anti-immigrant and anti-refugee sentiment, the fact that that was so normalized for me when I was a child, like, yes, we we are Christians. And so we welcome our neighbors who are fleeing persecution. Like that's literally just what you do. <laughs> it shouldn't be this thing that, I don't know, has become a political football in so many ways. So kind of bridging that to what Zoe said, I think when communities of faith, be they Christian or Muslim or Jewish or from other faith traditions, come together to work together to welcome their neighbors and they're including the younger generations 
of their faith communities in that practice, it normalizes it. Because this should be a normal cornerstone of who we are as Americans and who we are as members of different faith traditions. Um, So I, I think that that's really important that we continue to teach the younger generations that this is part of what it means to be an American. It's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus or a follower of any faith tradition. Absolutely. And I love that this is such an ecumenical and intergenerational effort. So you touched on this a little bit, Zoe and Allison, but um, what are some things that you are excited for um, in this work on either for yourself or on behalf of so many of these organizations that are stepping up um, to be uh, sponsors? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think uh, you probably have talked about this on the podcast before, but there has just been an unprecedented level of support across the U.S. in the last um, several months. And it's because of some really horrific situations, um, but just seeing the level of support of people reaching out um, at times is challenging because it can be really overwhelming for small offices. Um, but it's really uh, such a happy problem, a happy challenge of managing so many people that are wanting to help um, and wanting to personally do something to address these crises that we're seeing. Um, so I think that's been really cool to see um, how many people just want to be involved uh, and want to give their time and energy and resources to help others. 100%. Um Another thing I'm really excited about, and it seems like a small matter, but to give context. So previous to the last several months, the way that EMM um, would conduct the the vast majority of all of its work was through our affiliate partners. So it's really, resettlement is really local work. It's community building work. And we would generate, um, we would send people who were interested in supporting directly to our affiliates, which we still do. And we still send people to affiliates of other national agencies as well. Because again, this is community building work and we want people to be involved in their local communities in the work of welcome. But one of the things that's been exciting for us is with these new opportunities for quasi-private sponsorship um, that we kind of talked around, the Sponsor Circle Program for Afghans, and we anticipate the Biden administration will create additional pathways for people to be privately sponsored by local community groups or congregations. Um, we've started to build up that program within neighbor to, or within EMM. We call the program Neighbor to Neighbor. And this seems like such a small thing, but to know that the amount of um, hard work a member or community group in Minnesota has done to welcome um, four Afghan young women um, through our neighbor to neighbor program and through the sponsor circle program for Afghans. They've been working so hard on making sure one of the young women received her employment authorization document. The three others had received theirs. They've been working so hard to ensure that this young woman could receive her employment authorization so she can begin to work, which she really wants to do. And it has been many months (laughs) of laborious work um, for this community group who've never done this, right? They're not resettlement caseworkers. This is not their norm. But they are welcoming these women, um, again, as markers of who they are as followers of Jesus and also as Americans. 
And I'll be darned, but right before we started the podcast, her employment authorization document arrived. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever been so excited for like a government function to, to happen um, ever. And this is the stuff that happens in local affiliate offices all the time. Like staff work so hard to make these things happen um, and do so much follow up to ensure that our new neighbors have everything they need to thrive. Um, so it's just exciting to see community members stepping into that work as well and the amount of you know, excitement and joy they feel um, when these things finally happen. <laughs> so that's what I'm excited about is community members doing this work. There's a lot of excitement around community members really getting involved and this really massive stepping up to support and everything. And with that, I feel like comes a lot of opportunity to learn and grow. And so what are what are some challenges that you've seen some of the affiliates or community members experience with the levels of sponsorships as they're just getting started or, you know, along through time? Yeah, that's a really big question because I think every sponsorship experience is so different and people who've done this a lot, like they'll have a lot of experience to bring to the table the next time they sponsor but they're always learning new things because um, people are individuals and everything is, every time you do it, it's brand new. Um, so I think one of the challenges that a lot of sponsors experience that we work to train people for in advance is recognizing that the people that they're sponsoring are competent adults who have survived and who are resilient and who can make their own decisions and have their own agency. And the job of a sponsor is to support the independence and self-sufficiency of those that they're welcoming. And so sometimes people can enter into the work with um, mistaken notions of what it should be like. Um, so I think part of the work that's challenging for, for us to train, but also for individuals experiencing it, is to create those emotional boundaries where at the end of the day, you are uplifting the agency, the independence of the individuals you're welcoming. Um, you're not their parent. You right. There's no paternalism in this. It's setting up your neighbors who are fully sufficient adults for success in your new community. So creating emotional boundaries is just one of those really important things that can be challenging, but is critical. Um, and within that, um, this is kind of a plug for a resource that we've developed, but um, I'd love to hear Zoe speak more about it too. One of the things that can happen when you're engaging with individuals who have experienced significant trauma is the experience of secondary or vicarious trauma. Um, so also becoming aware of what trauma looks like and also becoming aware of what it can feel like when you start taking on some of that trauma as your own. So you've, you've failed in some respects to create an emotional boundary. Um, so we have a wonderful video resource we developed with a psychologist in New York on trauma and secondary or, or vicarious trauma. So anybody who's thinking about engaging in sponsorship or is already engaged and would like to access that resource, simply reach out to EMM. We're happy to share it to support people as they do this important work of welcoming their neighbors. Yeah, I completely agree, Allison. And also along the lines of navigating boundaries, I, I think it's just really challenging on all of the ends um, as as the individual who has been resettled as the group that's assisting them um, often uh, past the official quote unquote sponsorship period. Um, oftentimes the family and the sponsorship group will stay friends. Um, and often they're some of the first friends that that family has made in the community. And it's really beautiful 
but it's also really challenging to navigate those existing power dynamics from them. They will always have been the sponsorship group that assisted them to access services. Um, and so there will always be a power dynamic that is challenging to navigate um, as as the groups move past kind of the end time of their official commitment and then into the friendship, uh, the friendship zone, <laughs> I'm not sure what to call it. But um, I also will say that I think from the side of um, if it's a community sponsorship and partnership with an affiliate office, um, I will say that uh, it can take a lot of patience throughout the whole process not just with affiliate offices, with sponsorship in general. Um, there is a lot of time that it takes um, in order to go through training, to be matched with a family. Um, I think one of the challenges that our offices sometimes face is when is the community sponsorship group ready to be matched with a family? And when is the right family coming? And when are all of the resources ready? When is the apartment ready? And getting all of those together at the same time is a lot of moving pieces. Um, so I, I just say that uh, as anyone who's preparing to go into that space, that just preparing to go in knowing that it may take uh, a lot of patience and a bit longer than you think, but it's definitely worth it in the end. I agree. And I would say on to that, you know, when you form a sponsorship team, whether they're going to work with an affiliate or they're going to work um, through these new quasi-private and private models that are coming online, like the the team leads should have the spiritual gift of patience, as Zoe said. Um, there's there's a space in sponsorship for every person and every gift and skill they bring to the table. But for the person who's most often interacting with the affiliate or whatever entity is, you know, their go-to for the sponsorship, um, be ready to be flexible and adaptable and turn on a dime and be very creative. Um because, you know, refugee resettlement is a very, um, like, invigorating, inspiring space. It also is not without its bumps in the road. We don't always know when people are arriving. We don't always know if there will be medical challenges, et cetera. Um, so being patient, flexible, but also ready to, to turn at a moment's notice, those are definitely skills that you would want to have on your team. So you talked a little bit about um, the exciting notion of private sponsorship. Can you speak more about that and what that means for EMM, potentially? Sure. So private sponsorship, which we've kind of seen a picture of what that might look like in the United States through the Sponsor Circle program for Afghans. You can learn more about Sponsor Circles at SponsorCircles.org. Um Private sponsorship is adjacent to the the normal or formal refugee resettlement program. In normal or formal refugee resettlement, you've got the nine resettlement agencies like EMM who have contracts with the U.S. Department of State to be resettlement agencies and to work with our local affiliates to provide services. As Zoe mentioned earlier, there is uh, federal funding that comes with that. It's meager, right? You need local community support and private support at the local end to make this all work because um, it is public and private. It's not meant to be fully government funded. But within the purely private model, again, adjacent to what I keep calling the normal and formal, <laughs> in the private model, 
all of the resources, financial, material, and volunteer, are privately raised. So there is no federal funding associated with the services, the provision of services when someone first arrives. Depending on the immigration status of the person being sponsored, they might be eligible for some other assistance. Um, but bracketing that, which would be something you would learn about as you pursue the private sponsorship pathway, the pri- in private sponsorship, individuals in that team should be prepared to fundraise many thousands of dollars to find housing, to assign tasks and responsibilities to members of the team for going to the social security office, for enrolling children in school, for assisting with enrollment of benefits where benefits, um, where individuals are eligible for them, et cetera. Um, so that's private sponsorship. I think it's a really exciting moment in the U.S. resettlement landscape that this is being spoken about and acted upon. Um, we're learning a lot from our Canadian friends to the north because Canada has had a government resettlement scheme and a private sponsorship scheme for many decades. So a lot of what we're doing in the U.S. is borrowing from our Canadian friends. Um, So we know from Canada's experience that this does work. And we know from our own experience in these early days of private sponsorship that it works here as well. Um, But it takes a lot of work. So this is something that um, you want a committed circle of neighbors who care about this work passionately to to work to f- fund it and then to work to enact it when their new neighbors arrive. That was perfect, Allison. I don't think I have anything to add besides it's just a really exciting space to be in. This is something that we haven't seen for a really long time and resettlement in the U.S. is definitely changing um, in part because of all of the su- support that we're seeing and we need new avenues for that support to go to. So I think it's just a really exciting space to be in. Absolutely. And from my experience thus far, it seems like EMM has a lot of pivoting (laughs) happening (laughs) um, pretty much on a month to month basis. So and one of those pivots really was the birth of the neighbor to neighbor program. So I really want to dig into that program um, and just talk a bit about what that process is and how folks really can get into sponsorship through neighbor to neighbor. Oh, I would love to talk about that. And I, we both laughed when you said like EMM is just pivoting. I feel like that's like our new dance step. Like we're just always like, <laughs> I don't know, pivoting every day. Um, so Neighbor to Neighbor in a nutshell was born out of the vision of an Episcopal priest named Christina Rathbone, who is um, in Massachusetts currently, but she did her sabbatical, self-funded, um, went down to the Diocese of the Rio Grande which is West Texas and New Mexico, and spent her whole sabbatical meeting asylum seekers between Ciudad Juarez and El Paso. And in meeting them, they became her, their, she became their go-to um, American friend. So once U.S. immigration authorities would allow people to cross the border to be admitted to make a claim of asylum. They would go on to their final destinations, but when they would get there, they would call Christina (laughs) to ask questions about like, where's the nearest grocery store and how do I get my child enrolled in school? And she would say, I have no idea. I've never been to fill in the blank. But she realized there are Episcopal congregations in virtually every community in the country. Um, And where there are not, there are people of goodwill who want to step up to welcome their new neighbors. So the dream of neighbor to neighbor was born. 
initially it was intended to train congregations and community groups to be community sponsors for asylum seekers. So this whole process that Zoe and I have been talking about within Neighbor to Neighbor, it was originally designed to support asylum seekers who are not eligible for resettlement benefits that refugees who come with refugee visas are eligible to receive. So it's a population that is seeking refugee status. They have a claim of persecution. They are seeking safety. But until the U.S. government says, yes, we will grant you asylum and makes them an asylee, that would be their immigration status. Prior to that point, they have no access to any supports from the government, federal, state, local. So we really need to activate, to mobilize churches and individuals and community groups to support this population. Um, So that's where Neighbor to Neighbor came from. In the wake of evacuations out of Afghanistan in the fall of 2021, and still now, all the Afghans who've been admitted to the United States without a refugee visa or a special immigrant visa do not have a long-term pathway to legal permanent residency. They're here on a short-term parole for almost all of them. It's a two-year parole period. But until Congress passes an adjustment act that would allow that population to adjust status to something that allows for them to get their green cards, for example, to become legal permanent residents, all of them will have to apply for asylum. That is a long and expensive and very difficult process. So Afghan parolees do have access to some public benefits, to some federal programs, because Congress made them eligible for those, but Congress did not give them a pathway to long-term legal permanent residency. So in the wake of the evacuations, we decided to add another track to neighbor to neighbor, acknowledging that Afghans will de facto have to apply for asylum if they don't already have another visa or pathway. Um, So within neighbor to neighbor, we have track one, which was the original program design for Um, supporting community sponsors who are sponsoring asylum seekers. And now track two is for community sponsors who are sponsoring Afghans through the Sponsor Circle program for Afghans. I mean, I mentioned earlier the website for that program, sponsorcircles.org. So I guess to conclude um, these brief remarks on neighbor to neighbor, it's a really exciting time for us because it's allowing us to build capacity and train new groups to be welcomers, to support their new neighbors. And we're also looking ahead to, you know, emergent and current emergent and future emergent migration crises where new populations will need this kind of support and welcome. Um, So, of course, we know what's going on in Ukraine and we know the Biden administration has announced that the U.S. will admit up to 100,000 Ukrainians through which immigration pathways we do not entirely know, but it is... um, I think it's safe to assume that some will need private sponsorship. So that could become part of neighbor to neighbor, say track three, as an example. Um, And we anticipate that other populations, refugee populations, would become part of a private sponsorship program once the Biden administration announces it. So it's exciting to see where neighbor to neighbor has come from. um, And it's staying true to its roots. We are building out teams for track one to sponsor asylum seekers but also seeing neighbor to neighbor as a very flexible program model that can be adapted to meet the needs of new populations who are coming and need the support of their neighbors. That was a really great summation. Thank you so much, Allison. I can talk for a long time about it. (laughs) That was great. (laughs) 
it's an exciting program, I think. Um, and so I guess, so what is something you all would say to someone who is eager to be a part of this work, but doesn't know where to start? I know you mentioned that maybe just contact EMM and we can point you in the right direction, but say someone is a little further in knowing what they want to do. Um, what would you recommend? Um, I would also direct, I don't know if you've mentioned this on the podcast before, but there are some organizations that are trying to centralize. There's so many opportunities and sponsorship that have been popping up, um, especially since the Afghan crisis happened um, and now with Ukraine. Um, so there's a website called welcome.us. Um, so welcome.us slash sponsor has um, some information on the opportunities that are available. If you're just looking for kind of an overview, what is sponsorship? There's actually a short training that you can take and go through the different definitions, what the different opportunities look like. And there's also a massive directory. Um, so that link, I think, is at the bottom of that page. Um, and it shows all of the opportunities across the U.S. and nationally that have opportunities for sponsorship and the different kinds of sponsorship that we've been talking about. So if you're looking for just kind of overall overview information of where do you fit in, is there even an office near me or do I want to do a national program, um, that kind of gives you the overview of that. Um, and then absolutely, if you're looking for more specific uh, information to have a conversation about where you best fit, you can always reach out to EMM or if there's a local office near you to have a conversation with them as well. So... With regards to folks entering um, sponsorship through Neighbor to Neighbor, what are those next steps to get involved? Oh, sure. So for Neighbor to Neighbor, simply visit EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org forward slash Neighbor to Neighbor. And that's spelled out and two is T-O. <laughs> so EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org forward slash Neighbor to Neighbor. And on that webpage, it describes very succinctly the five phases of the program that you would experience as a member of a neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor team, from discernment to training to readiness assessment, matching and sponsorship and conclusion. And you can also sign up to attend an initial information session, which is part of the discernment process. Those are offered every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. So this podcast is called Hometown, and we love to ask all of our guests um, in one form or another um, what home means to you or how has it evolved over time as you consider doing this work and leading others through this work? I love that question. Um, I, I feel like I have thought about this a lot. I have never lived in one place for very long. Um, so I feel less tied and personally to a specific location or a specific house or something like that um, than I do to people. Um, and I feel like that also connects to how I think about community sponsorship um, because it's, it's really not the location, it's the people in the community and the relationships that are built that become home, um, especially for someone who is building a brand new home in a completely different culture and a language that they don't know. Um, so to me, home means people, means my family and my friends um, and relationships that feel like home to me. I love that. Absolutely. I don't think I could say it any better than that. Um, one 
image that I love or like experience that I love, that is my version of what's always said, is in Lexington, Kentucky, where I live, um, there's this wonderful old warehouse that now has a brewery and artist studios. It also is the location of Kentucky Refugee Ministries, which is an affiliate of another national agency. And I love the gathering of people that happens in that space that is from all walks of life, all countries of origin who pass through that space and are calling Lexington home. That's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Allison. I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time and your sharing and your experience and for the really helpful analogies for uh, lay folk like me to really understand the impact that we can have by joining in some capacity sponsorship. So thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks so much for inviting us. This was fun to do with you, Zoe. Yeah. Thanks, Stephanie and Allison. Listeners, thank you for joining us for today's episode. For more resources and opportunities to get involved with Episcopal Migration Ministries, be sure to visit episcopalmigrationministries.org. You may also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are EMM Refugees. To stay up to date on all new episodes, make sure to follow us wherever you get your podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or SoundCloud. This critical work in ministry would not be possible without listeners and supporters like you. To continue to support the Ministry of Welcome, you can make a gift to Episcopal Migration Ministries. With your help, we will continue to welcome and resettle refugees in communities across the country, offer support to asylum seekers, and create beloved community for all of our immigrant siblings. Visit episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash give or text hometown to 91999. Our theme song composer is Abraham Awenda Ikondo. Find his music at abrahamawenda.bandcamp.com. Until next time, peace be with you and with all those you consider home.